So again, once, once again, we're all welcome. Um, and tonight is one of those ask anything nights that we do. Docas, you're welcome. So good to have you. Um, and we'll get to hear from you as we go along. So basically what we're doing is, it depends on us. The last time we had this, I think eventually we ended up spending practically three quarters of all the time on maybe one particular question that someone asked, which I can't remember now off the top of my head. But it's a night where we can just freestyle. There's no format. It's not like there's anything pre-planned. And we just want to be together for the time that we have to spend together to ask questions about anything. We contribute and reason it out. There are no professionals. We are learning together, doing life together. Um, and yeah, and would, if necessary, open the Bible, <laughs> um, depending on the kind of questions that mm -hmm. we are getting. And yes, one of our professional questionnaires <laughs> has raised up his hand. So Dr. Henry, over to you, you kick us off and we'll pick it up from there. Thank you very much, sir. Um, yeah, so I've got a question. Um, with regards to Christian love and the way the Bible in different places have talked about, like we love our neighbors and all that. Mm. So I'm not going to go into like the more obvious ones of like you have to love your neighbor, but in the context of like if your love for one thing overrides your or challenges your love for another thing, for example, it's like if, say for instance, someone insults my mother and I love my mother so much, both of us have to love my neighbor. So how do I balance the love? In that, in, the, in that kind of context, how do I balance the love for my mother and also the fact, like, as a Christian, I have to, like, love everyone. So, is it, um, I mean, I, I hope that makes sense. Oh, do I need more explanation to that? <laughs> I, I, I think it kind of makes sense to me, but, yeah, we, the, the floor is open. So, if anybody that wants to contribute needs more clarification, I guess they would ask you. But if I if I could restate it and then you can say whether that's what you're asking or not, and maybe I didn't actually get it. Um, but of course, the Bible gives us this grand command of love one, love God with all your other da, 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 da. And the second commandment is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself, which is like a summary of all the Bible. But apart from those two dimensions, there are also personal loves that we have in our life. I love LFC, Liverpool Football Club. I love my mother. Well, of course, I love my mother more than I love LFC. So don't let the order of my loves. <laughs> I love my wife. I love and things like that. So if something or if someone is doing something that is causing the love I have for something to want to react, how do I balance that vis-a-vis -vis my love for God and my love for my neighbor. I don't know if that's what, what you're asking. Yeah, yeah, something that line, but if I might give a case study, so. Hey, that would help us. <laughs> like, I mean, it's not like properly straight into that case study, but kind of like just to give an, an idea to the, mm -hmm. um, like example, in, in a house, like if God robbers or gang people bag, bag into your house, and obviously they've got guns and all that. So if any position to like, hurt one of those gang members to save your family. <laughs> so mm -hmm. would it be like, you know, she loved that I'm rubber and all that because he just loved everyone and all that, so. All right, I get your question now. So yes, who wants to contribute to that? <laughs> oh gosh, that's, that's quite a, 
an intense example <laughs> to think about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any thoughts on that? Oh, we are still thinking. I, I, um, I'll just quickly share my thoughts. I so. I it, it's so. just, in just to co corroborate with what um, Dr. Henry has said. Mm -hmm. I also struggle with that kind of love sometimes. Like, should we, how about, obviously, robbers are people that we should like report to the police and stuff. Mm -hmm. But in, on, on the other hand, about Alva, Jesus died for everybody and wants all of them to come. Like this, this the question that Henry just asked, it, it was against my legal knowledge about the people that we prosecute and just write up because obviously that's what the system is saying but how how then do we extend grace to them in light of the gospel yes they will be punished by the law and they'll go to prison but is that doing any redemptive work at all so to say i just thought to put that in while we answer the question thank you so yeah yeah lots to think about in that regards any thoughts, any contributions, any comments, any remarks? Now. Um, let me let me come in a bit. Yep. Um I was trying to gather my thoughts, but my thoughts is all scattered is because it's not <laughs> I feel like that as well. <laughs> so yes, um uh fine, the Bible says we should love. Mm -hmm. Our neighbors as we love ourselves. God is love. God loves everybody. But do we also realize that um, the love that God has for everybody doesn't stop him from, or doesn't stop, let me put it this way, doesn't stop sinners from facing the wrath mm -hmm. of God mm -hmm. by the reason of the consequences of their action. Mm -hmm. So likewise, using the example you gave about the thief, mm -hmm. especially when you have a situation whereby um, consciously or unconsciously you have to make a choice between your actual loved ones mm -hmm. and a thief that came into your house to put your family at risk. I'm pretty sure that moment you are not thinking you are loving the thief. You want to protect the ones you actually love. Instinctually. And the thief came to, um, um, like, trespass into your space, your peace. So you would want to do anything to protect your family at that instant. And maybe the only saving grace would be maybe you don't want to kill the thief or something like that. But I think I know where the thought or your thought is driving at as per, you know, loving everybody and not maybe, you know, but I, I want to point out that, uh, you know, if we start digging deep, if we go through the um, categories of love, there is the agape love, the general kind of love, there is the one that is for family, and then, you know, all those things like that. There is the general love that you love everybody. Um, but still looking at the same example, the fact that you love someone doesn't mean that you withdraw the consequence, even your child. The same Bible will tell you that you should discipline your child. Does that mean you don't love your child? But it's just saying that 
there are certain things, even out of love, you actually still do it or you carry out um, what discipline mm -hmm. because it's actually needed. Um, bringing it into the aspect of the law and persecution and all those things. Everybody has the consequences of their action. And that is why God also told people that if you, see, uh, there are two choices, choose between life and death. The fact that God loves us is not going to say, okay, no, but by the reason of the choice, then you choose what you want to, but God loves everyone for God so loved the world right and he gave yep. his only begotten son but that same chapter makes us to understand that um the 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 time is coming the holy spirit will con um uh i'm trying to remember the scripture to condemn the world um to convict sinners and to what's it called what's the third thing now when sinners are, are they choose to walk in their own darkness and choose the places where they want to go then god god at that point even the love of god is not looks like we lost your voice yeah, okay. Just trying to unmute and mute back. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm done, sorry. All right, okay. Thank you. <clears throat> Any other thoughts on, on that? Any other thoughts? Any other thoughts? For those that are just joining, the question on ground that we are considering is how to kind of balance the love that we have for God, the biblical love that we're supposed to have for God and for neighbor. Vis-a-vis, -vis, for instance, when, I mean, to give the case study on ground, if you're faced between loving on your immediate family by defending on them in the face of armed robbery, attack, or something like that, how about the other side of actually showing love to the robbers, <laughs> whatever that would look like? in that context. So just trying to balance that tension between love and love as the case may be. That's what we are discussing. Kamala, you're smiling like you have something to say. I just feel like at that point, God has to understand that God would understand whatever happens. <laughs> I mean, God knows we're humans, right? So I don't think, I mean, there are certain situations I feel like he would, I mean, of course, I provided the person, the person in that situation is also a Christian, a believer of God, and the person knows certain things that should be done and should not be done. So if the person is faced in that kind of situation, while it's a tough one, I believe God would understand the fact that, man, whatever happens, this person did it out of. <laughs> love for one of the parties anyways <laughs> <So>, yeah <laughs> all right thank you for that um <clears throat> i don't know if anybody still wants to say something on that uh the the, the way I'm... well okay go okay. on Larry. okay uh, um before okay i'll just say that truth is that number one go will never go will never bring you through what um yes not equip you to go through in the sense that you will never said and every temptation is common to man mm. so i believe um 
if there's a believer that can undo that situation, God would not, God is just enough, or we can trust God's justice system enough not to bring them through that. Wow. Well, there is now the mix of the goodness of God and the severity of God, like the book of Romans tells us. Now, it's the goodness, the goodness of God does not discount his justice or his um, justice system. But now the question will now be that where is the justice coming from? From us or from him? So the question or the question should now be that if the person is acting in self-defense, when they are trying to harm their loved one, mm. in the case where, in the case where I, I'm not going to recommend that you intervene in a gun situation or, you know, that's a life and death. So you can't afford to risk the life of um, your family members trying to defend them. You don't know what could happen. Mm. But if it's something that you know that maybe you are even moved in the spirit to defend them, mm. as long as, as long as it's not, it's not, it's not going to endanger the life of the people you claim to be protecting. Of course, to even make the attempt is a risk. But I believe that God will give us the wisdom to um, actually go through that. But you can intervene if it will not threaten the life of the person, the people you are claiming to protect. And in the event where you are unable to um, intervene, you must trust God's justice system to balance the scale because God always does. God has a way of balancing this game. Mm. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, <clears throat> the, 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 again, also, I'm also still kind of processing my thoughts along that line. But I thought to take us to the scriptures, um, just as I said, that we might, <laughs> we will open the Bible at some point. And this is a question coming from the Bible. So let's just see a couple of verses. Uh, Mark 12, 30 to 31, and this is repeated elsewhere in the synoptic gospels is where that instruction to love god and love our neighbors come from let me read it from from the voice translation you should love the eternal your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength the second great commandment is this love others in the same way you love yourself there are no commandments more important this so that's the framework that we are speaking from but the the other side to it especially in light of the case study that we got um the scripture that came to my mind is romans 13 how god uses even the government even the policeman for instance to actualize his purpose but let me read it uh, the first few verses of that chapter from the message translation it says be a good citizen all governments are under god Insofar as there is peace and order, it's God's order. So live responsibly as a citizen. If you are irresponsible to the state, then you are irresponsible with God. If you are an armed robber, you are irresponsible with God. And God will hold you responsible. Duly constituted authorities are only a threat if you are trying to get by with something. Decent citizens should have nothing to fear. Then I love verses three to five. Do you want to be on good terms with the government? Be a responsible citizen and you get on just fine. The government will work into your advantage. But if you are breaking the rules right and left, watch out. The police are not just there 
they are, the police are not there just to be admired in their uniforms. God also has an interest in keeping order and he uses them to do it. That's why you must live responsibly, not just to avoid punishment, but also because it's the right way to live. What am I saying here? Back to what Sister Yinka was saying, that the fact that God is love and that God loves, sometimes what that looks like is that he dispenses his justice. Sometimes what that looks like is that he frowns at evil. Sometimes what that looks like is that he causes the person that has dug a ditch to fall into his ditch. Sometimes what that looks like is that you set a trap, you get into the trap yourself and things like that. So we might look at that from our own limited perspective as to what love should look like and say, how oh, I wish that we could extend grace some other times, <laughs> um, what that looks like is not what we want it to look like, but it's what it is. And there is no one wiser than God. And so I would love to think that if I find myself, God forbid, in such a situation, even without thinking far, of course, of course, if the Holy Spirit is leading otherwise, then that's a different thing. But even without thinking at, at all about it, instinctively, as a natural as a human being, um, first and foremost, and then a spiritual human being in that sense, I will do everything to protect those that I love, those that I have a responsibility one way or the other to by virtue of a familial relationship. So, but of course, I know that Henry's question actually goes beyond this case study to very many other contexts. Um, Another context that comes to mind is when Paul said something like this to, I believe it was to the Galatians in chapter six, do good to all men, especially to those of the household of faith. He says, I think he started by saying, as much as it lies in your power, as long as you have the capacity, do good to everybody, but especially to those of the household of faith. Who are those of the household of faith? Fellow believers. Okay, so I have 20 pounds and Three people are in need of 15 pounds each. Two of them are unbelievers. One of them is a believer. If I want to apply that principle that Paul is stating in Galatians 6, I'll prioritize the believer before the unbeliever. And why is that? Again, it comes down to at least the way I can, as far as I can reason it out. It comes back to the fact that 15 pounds in the hands of a believer, a child of God, can accomplish God's purposes much more than 15 pounds in the hands of an unbeliever can do. Um, the unbeliever can use the money to do anything, anything that could be amoral or immoral. Well, at least for the child of God, I'm open and trusting that God's grace upon his life and the Holy Spirit resident in him would help him spend the money wisely um, on God-glorifying purposes or to that end. So those, those are the kind of reasonings as it were but in the specifics of the moment the holy spirit leads us and it's not impossible that you could say first of all attend to this unbeliever because who knows maybe by virtue of my gesture to him that will be what will bring him to the lord again i never can tell so there are some general principles like that that we could trace to the scriptures as to how we should act in certain situations but that doesn't overrule the fact that, or the possibility of the fact that God can, in specific situations, intervene in ways or instruct us in ways that are not commonsensical, that are illogical, that are even counter whatever 
truths we are holding on to just because he wants to accomplish purposes that are beyond our own imaginations and limited reasonings and understandings. So yeah, that would be how I would think through that. Any other thoughts, any other addition before we move on to another question? And Dr. Henry, if you feel there's another tangent to your question that we haven't covered or something else you want to say to any of the responses, feel free to give a response so that we know that we are done with the question before we move on to another yeah, I think it's all good so far. I love the two case study, like the last one you actually pointed out as well, which right. was one of the things I was thinking about. Ah, all right, all right. Thank you, sir. Okay, so next question is ask anything night. So feel free. I think that's a good taster of what ask anything night looks like. We literally ask anything. Um, so any other question, any other remarks any other contribution is welcome so um i have a question yeah, i okay. have one i have two questions but then i need to get some stuff to confirm rather to ask the second one properly but yeah for the first one uh it's about the case of like submitting someone to the law like in terms of like suing someone versus forgiving them like and then just letting them because I mean, I feel like okay, I was reading a book on offense, the bait of Satan. You know, I, mean, I have so many questions for John Baber, so I'm just going to ask one of them here. So it he mentioned something about the fact that, uh, like it, the way he put it, the context in the way he put it was like, oh, it's like you shouldn't report, you shouldn't sue the person, you shouldn't, yeah, sue the person basically. Mm -hmm. And then it got me thinking, like, I feel like there's certain situations, not because, oh, you just want to go all war with the person, but then for the sake of other people, like you don't want what the person has done to you to no, yeah, to be done to other people. Yeah. So in a way, it's like I'm trying to, yeah. And then it's the case of, oh, do you want to be redeemable and just let the person just, let it just slide. Mm. Okay, let me just, let me, let me put it into a proper context. Let me give an example. All for right. example, a doctor performed an operation and then, yeah, maybe during the operation, some things went wrong, or maybe he just did a lot of wrong things. And then for that reason, you want to sue the doctor. Mm. At least that way, his license will probably get revoked for maybe five years or mm -hmm. two years, right? Depending on the way they make it. But then that would also help him, that would also prevent him from um, yeah, performing that mistake on other people. But at the same time, it's like, what if? <laughs> I mean, I said that it seems kind of like unfair. Like, why can't you just let that person? After all, it's not like, oh, maybe this has been happening like many times. Yeah, so it's kind of like dicey. Like, what do what does one do in such situation? Mm. That's that's an interesting question. I'm hoping that at some point Anna will contribute if she's able to. Um, if she's not able to contribute right away to build the cat, because I know that the specific example you gave ties in with the area that she was working in. So she might have some thoughts for us, but yes, the floor is open. Um, and the question is, I think it's well stated and we can reason through that together. Mm. I've not, I think I've not read the bit of Satan, uh, but I, I've seen it and heard about it, so. Maybe I'll also check it out at some point um, down the line. 
So how do we balance the biblical injunction to forgive? And some we had and forget, <laughs> even if that's not necessarily always realistic. Um, but in any case, forgiving vis-a-vis -vis reporting. Um, and this doesn't even necessarily only have to be like in the case of, I don't know, um, social errors. But within organizational structures, there, are, there there's, there's something called whistleblowing. Like if someone is doing something wrong in certain industries anyways, I don't know if it's everywhere, but yeah. You, you, in some cases, you have a responsibility just by being an employee that is working maybe in that team, in that department, in that company, whatever. You have a responsibility to report it. Um, but of course, reporting might mean that the person may lose their job. So again, how do you balance your Christian instincts to forgive, to love? And sometimes love is, you know, making excuses for them. Oh, maybe they just, maybe that one time this and this happened. Then choose to believe no. it and things like that. Okay, so I can go on. I will make my contribution by first stating a real life example. All right. Of course, no names mentioned. So, um, but um, currently we have a family friend. She's in the Navy, she's in the Navy, the United States Navy actually, supposed to be to rank up to an officer position and um, currently on deployment. So it happened that maybe, you know, one of the other uh, seamen, like fellow soldier, but that she's overseeing was having a birthday. So in the, in the um, bit of celebration, maybe they went out to party mm. and some people got drunk. Not this particular, according to the story I heard, not this particular person that I know, mm. but the other people under her got drunk and it led to a fight and long and short, you know, they fought in that, in that place. And then, so the summary of it is, it became a situation of this, person that I know mm. that didn't get drunk, that wasn't involved in the fight, actually got withdrawn from being promoted oh, wow. and might possibly be facing other, you know, the case is still ongoing. Mm. And why is that? For the fact that um, she didn't report the situation. Mm. Um, mm. Being a senior you know, being in our rank and position, like she didn't take our responsibility to like report, you know, like give the statement of what happened. Mm. And in her own words, she was trying to um, not let the people involved like face greater charges, mm. so to speak. Mm. So now not only did the thing, um, um, escalate and involve her um she's something she has worked for the position she has worked for so hard and everything it's basically a case of she's seen all of that effort go down the drain and why is that still on the issue of not you know reporting or stating yeah, yeah. so um as christians there is 
<laughs> there is a difference between oh, forgiving someone and actually um, not not being a part of the works of darkness. The Bible talks about we we are we are light, so mm. we, are, we should expose works of darkness, not cover it. Of course, it's going to take wisdom on our own part, and um, it might not be one size fit all. It might be peculiar to the certain situation. Yeah. But we should make sure in our bid of what we are calling, we are forgiving, quote and unquote, the person yeah. is not actually trying to cover up for the person because the Bible also says that doing that, we are also partaking in their sin, you know, if we are covering them up. Yeah. Again, like I said, it's not a one size fit all. It might be depending on what is the situation that we are talking about because there are some extreme situations. <clears throat> there are some extreme situations. There are even situations will come across like something like, oh, a wife happens to confess to you that, oh, she committed adultery. Oh, please don't tell my husband. So what are you going to do in such a situation? You know, or maybe a child or a youth that like we have seen comes to tell you as a youth leader that they have committed abortion, please don't tell my parents, you know, and it's okay, we we'll forgive, like, you know, so yeah. again, <laughs> it's not a one size fit all, but we should know the difference or we should learn to draw the difference between actually saying, I mean, forgiving the situation that, oh, we're forgiving this person or, and then we're exposing you know, the walks of darkness. Um, I don't know if I, I, I made the matter better or I complicated the question. <laughs> it's, it's helpful. It's helpful in very many ways. Thank you. Okay, any other comments or contributions on that? Mm -hmm. I have a contribution. Yeah, go on, Dilla. So I was going to add what the previous person said. Mm. Some people are smart, but in a devious way. Yeah. So they know that they could probably get away with doing more heinous stuff mm -hmm. if you forgive them. That's why I think it's not always the best solution to forgive someone. Mm. Sometimes you have to know when to forgive and when to expose them mm. or else you know that just they might end up getting lucky and they'll start doing it over and over mm. it'll be like a snowball effect mm. yeah. and it'll get worse mm. that's how some people are sure. Sure. but that's all i have to say thank you that's, that's an interesting take on it as well thank you I know, are you there? Are you able to keep in something on, especially from the medical example that was given earlier? Maybe she's not. Okay. Any other person want to speak on that? Um, the thing I was going to add, yeah. I mean, not exclusively an answer, but just a thought. Because uh, the last, uh, not last, probably one before that, or mm. things, it's not like a one answer fits all thing. Yeah, yeah. So there's a place in the Bible, I think, in Second 
Let's be fair. We're talking about suffering for doing good and all that. And I feel like sometimes that the fact that we suffer for something doesn't necessarily mean that we've done the wrong thing. Yeah. It might still be you doing the right thing and still like have uh, repercussions for that as well. So yeah, I feel like that's also that part of um, we doing something for what we feel like is is a good thing in our own present understanding of what is good or our own judgment, our own fair judgment in that situation mm-hmm. and all that. But again, it might come with a cost and all that. But um, yeah, I just want to put out like that's I feel like there's still that possibility that you can do something that is right and still suffer for it. Absolutely, absolutely. Any other thoughts before we move on to another question? Um, from my own thoughts as well, I mean, I, I resonate with what everybody has said. Um, sometimes I think we tend to equate forgiveness and what word now, letting matters slide or whatever has been the same. You can forgive someone, genuinely forgive them, follow due process, especially where, for instance, it is expected of you um, because of the authority or the power or the responsibilities that you have in your capacity to report a certain situation. Of course, it's dicey. And there are times that the Holy Spirit might lead you otherwise. We've always had that in the background of all the contributions we've been making tonight. Ultimately, there is nothing as good as being able to be led by God um, on the spur of the moment and in every situation, in every context and all of that. But again, the Bible gives us general guidance. The Holy Spirit gives us specific guidance and more often than, in fact, it's not a matter of more often than not, the specific should not contradict the general um, in that sense. But I believe that you can forgive someone and still let them face the consequences of their action. You can forgive someone and still shield yourself from repeated exposure to their tendency to do what they did. Because forgiving them doesn't change who they are. Forgiving them doesn't address the root cause of whatever is causing the error to start with. And so, yeah, that might sometimes look like if if you have a, a sense of responsibility to report, you do so. Um, where the other side to this that might look a bit um, different or where I would say maybe we should follow the biblical. Jesus gave a case study somewhere. I might find the reference later where he said that it's someone that is a fellow believer, someone that you are together supposedly believing the same Christ and you're supposed to be living out of the same tenets. If such a person has offended you, the first stage is to go to the person directly and try to iron the matter out. Um, And if the person refuses, then you take a witness with you, another fellow believer in the spirit of openness, unity, and love to go to that person and to try to, you know, win over that person and reconcile the issue. But if again, the person still insists on not yielding to that, then it says you take the church to the person. And of course, in taking the church, you could as well say you take the those who have a sense of responsibility in the matter. So like the church leadership, the elders or whatever structure might be operating in your church to go see that person. 
But it says if the person still chooses after all those three levels to be insistent on their stubbornness or whatever it is, then it says treat the person like mm-hmm. a non-believer. What does that mean? It says treat the person like a pagan or a non-believer. In other words, treat that person as though you don't actually believe in the same Christ. Treat that person as though, because you can't possibly say that you are a child of God when you have intentionally violated all these biblically instituted authorities um, in holding on to whatever errors you are choosing to hold on to or whatever offenses you are choosing to hold on to um, and wanting to continue to have it your way. Then we'll just let you have it your way, but we'll not reckon you as a brother or a sister in the church. And that can sound harsh. That might sound, I don't know. But if indeed this had been followed every stage without malice, without ill intentions, but really, truly, and genuinely in love, that you've been trying to correct someone, you've been trying to point out that this thing that you're doing is going against the norm and things like that. Feel free to then treat them as you would a non-believer. I believe there's a way you could actually apply that as well to this. In trying to balance. So for say, for instance, I I am I have some people working under me, and I also have people that I'm reporting to. And part of the people working under me are misbehaving. Um part of my responsibility is to call them to order. And maybe part of my responsibility involves to report them. I might start from that first phase of giving them a caution and maybe note it down in my own personal professional journal to say, I cautioned this person today. And then if he repeats, if that same thing happens again, to take it to the next level of whatever that might look like before eventually get to the, to the point of uh, you've gotten two yellow cards, now take a red card <laughs> or whatever that, that might be. Like we've warned you twice and you're still not doing what you're supposed to do. So hasta la vista, let's do it the way we're supposed to do it anyways and make you dance to the tune of what you're instituting. So Damola, I don't know if all of our contributions have modeled up what you intend to mm-hmm. get at or if you found them helpful. Feel free and we'll you mentioned both the question and also other questions <laughs> there. All right, all right. Thank you, everyone. Yes. You're most welcome. Um, okay, it's eight o'clock. Uh, I mean, here in the UK anyway. So we have just uh, a little less than thirty minutes to wrap up. Any other question? There's a question that I had in mind, but I won't ask it here because even me myself I've not finished processing my thoughts about it but maybe maybe you'll help us if there's no other question I'll bring it up but if there is a question I'll, I would like us to take that first in that sense any yeah. other ask the second question I was going to ask was about the bible basically I don't know I mean I've always been a bit like I just ask keep asking it in my head okay so it's about the entire Bible, like, of course, well, we believe it to be, I mean, to be a book, uh, a book to guide us, yeah, uh, I mean, this book, be, besides this thing, the things that Jesus said, there are also things that people like Paul, Peter, and the rest of them mentioned that are also in the same book, and then I feel like, when I'm reading some of this, I'm like, I actually disagree with what some of them say at different points. Then I'm like, mm, this could have been paraphrased this way, or why was it said this way? And then I'm like, that's, I mean, in the end, I'm like, I wouldn't obey this 
part because I didn't. I I remember myself that well. I mean, I just tried to look at it like, well, this could be. It it, it could just be like, oh, let's say Pastor Deboy is saying a part of the Bible, and Pastor Deboy is saying another part, and Jesus is saying another part. And like, I just always look at the red, the red letter. Um, the red letter. The red. <laughs> like the one that is black. Well, of course. So in a way, I'm not like okay. Even if I'm not exactly agreeing to this thing, hope I'm also not shooting myself in the foot, not agreeing to it. Or when, but yeah, overall, I, don't, I, I believe you guys get what I'm saying. Just feel like everything is not exactly possible. Just take hook line and sink at the same time. Like mm -hmm. there should be a level of wisdom that I believe God has given us not to also apply certain things when they should be applied and discard. Hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Yes, <laughs> it, it does. Of course, my theological mind is flagging different things in what you're saying but I, I would i would want people to contribute to that first i was going to say that it might have been helpful if you gave an example of one of those places that you find like mm, maybe maybe not maybe they meant it for a different context maybe let's look for one now <laughs> all right so while you're looking for one the floor is open um so yeah the bible that's interesting book that we all read um yeah oh i'm just in the chat thread sister inka thanks for that scripture in matthew 18 15 to 20 that was what i was referencing the other time about jesus saying go first and then take someone with you then take the whole church and otherwise treat the person like an unbeliever so thank you we are quiet we all take the bible hook line and sinker <laughs> Oh, goodness. Um, good evening, everyone. Yeah, good evening, Stephen. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, if I would like, if I would try to attempt the, to answer the question, I think Second Timothy 2.15 said we should study, we should have ever approved mm -hmm. the workman that needs not to be ashamedly dividing the word of truth. So mm -hmm. I think uh, the Bible is a whole book. And um, a lot of, you know, we can get a lot of things in the Bible, but there is always the truth in the world. So I think much emphasis should be placed on getting the truth of every scripture. And I think that will help to really know who probably, because he said we should we know the truth and the truth will set, set us free. So if what we're reading is, is, is the truth, mm -hmm. then we need to adjust to obey the truth. However, if based on the context of, of culture, of example, uh, I think this is Timothy that spoke about women covering their hair and everything. So, of course, if it's read literally, it may come up with a lot of messages and, you know, doctrines and everything. However, there is a truth in that whole um, chapter of the, of, of the Bible. So, First, I would like to note that read, knowing the truth in, in, in scripture and also reading it contextually, mm -hmm. reading it in light of the culture of those times and also with the help of the Holy Spirit, in person, you know, the scripture can, something is written in the scripture and what the Holy Spirit wants to interpret it, although it's not a scientific interpretation, however, but for that current season, or probably it's laying a demand on you based on, on, on the, the instructions that will be given at that moment. And that does not mean it will be a general doctrine for everyone. So the truth 
should be emphasized also understanding the scripture based on the context of culture and 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 the old uh, published chapter or the old book or, or the old thing that guides that particular book of, of the bible will really help us thank you very much Thank you very much. That's that's a lovely contribution. Thank you so much. Sister Inka, you're raising up your hand. Go for it. Um you you'd say I have time today. And I'm glad I do have the time. Um so just picking it up from where the brother just the, the, the brother that just spoke now, I'm picking it up from his point. Definitely, um, first and foremost, the the Bible, I always refer to the Bible as the only book whereby you have the opportunity or we have the privilege to have the author right there with us to interpret what is written. Uh For instance, if I'm reading a book authored by, you know, Pastor Joseph, um, and I'm, you know, reading a passage or paragraph, Uh um, I, I am only left with my imagination to try to understand what he is trying to say when he wrote that paragraph. Yeah. Well, maybe by virtue of relationship, maybe it's the following day, or I might put a text in WhatsApp and say, hey, when you wrote this, what were you trying to say? Yeah. But literally speaking, if we look at books in general, some books are written, the authors are no more there and things like that. So what I'm trying to say is that we don't have that privilege to have the author to interpret to us what was written, but the Bible, which is authored by the Holy Spirit, because of course, all scripture is, in, is, is given by interpretation. I mean, inspiration, sorry, by inspiration, you know? So in addition to that, the word of God says that the letter kills, but it is the spirit that gives life. So if we are reading the Bible, many people, and that's why it's not everybody that can understand the Bible. Everybody can read the Bible by virtue of understanding the language or being educated. That's why sometimes I'll, some Muslims, oh, they've read the Bible from beginning to end, but that doesn't mean they understand the Bible. So because the letter kill it, but it is a spirit that gives the understanding. And in, in, in light of that, um, in addition to what that um, brother was saying, yeah. it's always good. You add, you invite the Holy Spirit. You also, if you want to be a student of the word of God, you, it's good to use other measures um, of course, by, by the leading of the Spirit, to help guide your understanding. What do I mean? Devotionals, using Bible concordance, using Bible dictionaries, so that we're able to understand um, the, the culture, the tradition, or the context which okay. we certain things was being written. Yeah. Because some things may not ordinarily be understood. An example, two examples I'll give. When the Bible says, um, talking about uh, judging and all those things, and the Bible says, you, you, you have to first of all take out the log from your own eye before you remove the speck in another person's eye. Uh-huh. Of course, we all know that literally there's nobody that has log in their eye, physically speaking. 
So trying to understand that okay, Bible is talking about okay, looking at so, and all the things. But when the Bible says it's easy for the camel to go through the eye of a needle, uh, well, how you <laughs> maybe just I myself for the longest time I kept racking my head that how can camel go through eye of needle? Like it doesn't make sense until. I came across um, the explanation that in, you know, in, in uh, was it, is it Jerusalem now? In, in, in that area in Israel, yeah. permit me to use maybe Pastor Kola who knows specifically, there is the gate that is known as the eye of a needle. When they shut the major city gates, then there is the narrow place where you know at the end of the day more like almost like a coffee mm. at the end of the day when they shut the gates to the major city gates the uh, merchants that are still coming in they will have to pass their camel through the eye of a needle and if they have loads that means they have to offload their camel so that the camel can go through the gate called the eye of a needle so but if we read that um scripture literally we are only left with our own current day and age thinking is the middle they so tread but it is when you use like bible um other bible aids that you are used able to um understand context yeah. like that and i will just wrap up by saying um but don't let me go into too much of that because it's not theology and I didn't do theology. That's for Pastor Fela. There's what is known as the canonization of scripture, yep. whereby some part of the book of the Bible was being uh, was being scrutinized and was not being accepted. Mm. So what we have as the Bible today are the ones that is being accepted. There are other parts of the book that should have been added to the Bible or that would have been added that were not added. But like I said, don't let me go into all of that. So I'm not going off point. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think that's that's a lot of elucidations. Damola, it looks like you found an example that you wanted to give us. Uh, yeah, I actually found, yeah, I found it. But yeah, let me just read. One was from Luke 20, verse 38, where Jesus said something about the fact that it's a God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. All we are called live unto him. Yeah. And then um, Paul mentioned something about he's the God of the living and the dead in um, Romans 14, verse 9. Okay. And okay, that one's even between Jesus and Paul. And then there was one I feel like, I think. Um, it's the same person, um, the person that wrote Psalms and Proverbs, David, yeah. I mean, in um, Psalms, I think Psalms 58, verse 10, yeah. It meant something about the, the, rich, the righteous shall rejoice as vengeance, something like that. And then in Proverbs, he wrote about um, we, should not, we should not rejoice when our enemies, something about our enemies downfall, we should not rejoice that. So, I mean, for example, someone who is who wants to, because I'm reading a book and then they're talking about confirmation bias. So it says that when you believe something, like for example, if I believe I should rejoice yeah. when my enemy is being poisoned, I'm going to focus on Psalm 58 verse 10 and ignore Proverbs. Um, I can't remember the part, but Proverbs, uh, I'm in Proverbs. So yeah, I feel like this is one of the things that 
could be confusing especially when one's talking with even fellow Christians or mm. even unbelievers. Okay. But yeah, the contributions have actually helped really. Um, I didn't remember. Let me take the name of the other guy. And Steinha and Steven. Yeah, and, and my namesake. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for the. Yeah. That's that's brilliant. Um, I don't know if anybody still wants to add to that before we tie it together, pray, and wrap up to this meeting. Okay. Um, I, I think many of the things I could have said as per principles have already come up. Um, when I said that, okay, Kingsley, <laughs> go on. Let's have you first. Yeah, sorry, I'm at work. So I just uh, wanted to just uh, chip in something. Thank you. Uh, sorry, I'm on the phone. Since <laughs> uh, Ayinka and the um, Uncle Domala uh, actually spoke everything, uh, Bible reading it in context, very, 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 very vital. And that's what we call the Roman word of God, the tailored word of God. And two people can read one particular verse and it, it reads a meaning. I was reading one place in Numbers. Mm. And then first meaning I read for me, I think when God was giving the people of Israel that you should come to a place, kill everybody, don't leave anything because it can be a tongue. And then I just remember that there are things that are seen, they are not like a sin, but it can be a tongue, like a distraction. That was the message I got from that place. Mm. Somebody else can read it and the message they get there is cut out everybody that is an unbeliever around you, you know? It's so everyone has got those different messages, but reading it in by context, like what's putting yourself in that issue, what, what uh, are they trying to address? And when you put it, like Sister Yenka said, the Holy Spirit will be able to speak to you specifically what He wants you to learn. And there's a Ephesians 1, verse 8, I think, or verse 6 or 1, verse 18. It says, Open the eyes of my understanding, you know, and that's very, very vital. Opening the eyes of our understanding to see. And to understand what uh, God, what He's trying to speak there, is the Bible is a book that is always living. I started reading the Old Testament uh, this year, and the more I read it, the more I see the New Testament in the Old Testament. The more I begin to appreciate the Bible more and everything, which used to be very difficult then. But it's the Holy Spirit that opens it up for you. So don't look at the Bible looking for faults. If you've got questions, be honest with God. God, I don't understand this thing. He can lead you to an Old Testament. There is a place in Isaiah that talked about that he will open it up for the... Uh, uh, he's just talking about parables. And if we go to the New Testament, Jesus quoted that place that it will open up to his people. Some will understand, will see, and they will not understand. And so if you read that place, and because you are not in the New Testament, you wouldn't understand it. So I think the way, if you, if you read it, you know, holistically, like the Bible into context and everything, and see what the Old Testament what they put it in the New Testament, what it, mm. where they are, the knowledge they have, it will help you. But if we use our knowledge of uh, our time, it's it's not going to help, you know. So we need to always put ourselves in the context. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you so much, Kings. It's so good to have that that input as well. Um, <clears throat> and uh, that Docas helped us to put in the other scripture you were talking about, Amola. To be Proverbs 24 17, it's on the chat thread uh, as the other twin to Psalm 58, verse 10 that you quoted. So, Docas, thank you very much. Um, <clears throat> I, was, I was going to just then maybe zoom in on the very examples that you gave, and I know there will be many more, but 
to back up to just to reiterate some of the things that had been said um, on the one hand, of course, part of what we must fundamentally believe as Christians is that God's word is the authority of our lives. Like we have to hold it in that. If we don't bestow upon the scriptures that honor, then we will come at it with something of postmodern um, skepticism, so to speak. All this, could this be like this actually? Could that be like that? And that's okay. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to, to note seeming discrepancies and then take those again, like Sister Yinka said, take those to the author, the real author. Of course, God used over 40 people writing over thousands of years to bring together what we have and call the Bible. Um, and indeed, that thing that we have that we call the Bible has gone through an interesting history, which hopefully in one of our subsequent meetings, we can actually get into. Maybe we could even devote next meeting to that and just actually look at the history of how we came about having this book that we call the Bible. I think it would be an interesting um, journey to look at. Um, but then where I'm going then is as much as it's God's word, as much as it's divinely inspired, as much as God used all these different people writing at different periods of time and yet making a coherent sense. And, and with all of these seeming conflicts or some will call them contradictions and all of that left into it. Like if it was the work of a man, if it was just some people bringing things together to call it God's word, I believe there are many things that they would, it will pay us if it has been edited out because then we won't even have to, it will sell more. It will look more appealing. It will look more like, yeah, this is God. God does everything so perfect and so neat. But I like that the Bible has all of these other tensions inside of it so that we can always remember that this is not just an ordinary book and there is, we have a ready access to the one that is able to make it plain to us. Uh, and so part of the principles of rightly dividing the word of truth that Stephen Damala was talking to us about would involve first and foremost knowing the kind of literature that you're reading. So the way Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers were written, that's more or less an historical document. In fact, down to Joshua, Kings, Chronicles, these are just, you're reading history. And the way you read history is different from the way you read Psalms, which is poetry of some sort. Proverbs is also poetry, but poetry of another sort. And, and then you come down to the prophetic literatures, thus says the Lord. The way you read that is different from the way you read the historical accounts of the life of Jesus. It's different from how you read the letters of Paul or Peter or John. It's different from how you read the apocalyptic literature of Revelation. So they are all different literature styles which would then be helpful if we have access to all those study tools that Sister Inka was talking about. Um, so if I could just give two or three tips <clears throat> that I believe could help all of us would be one, have access to a couple of translations of the Bible. The Bible was not written in English, that's a given. The Bible was written largely in two or three languages, Hebrew for the Old Testament, Greek, and a bit of Aramaic for the New Testament. And even that in itself already poses a challenge because Jesus, as much as we know, did not speak Greek as it were. Not that he couldn't speak it, but most theologians would. And historically speaking, it's more likely he spoke 
like as a Jewish person, spoke Hebrew or spoke Aramaic. So that would mean if you are writing what Jesus said in Hebrew or Aramaic down in Greek, you have done a translation in and of itself yourself, whoever is writing whatever is being written. And so right from there, we already have issues to contend with. But I won't, again, get into all of that to bore you down. But the point is, if you have access to multiple translations, it helps you to at least see different sides to what you're reading at a time. You don't have to necessarily hone physical copies of lots of Bible. Once upon a time, that was me, like 20 physical Bibles of different versions. I was buying one every two months or something. But thank God today for Bible Gateway, thank God for Bible Hub, thank God for version and all these many other um, sites that makes that or apps that makes that readily available to us. So that's one. Second tip, if you are using a Bible physically or online, also look at the footnotes, if it's a Bible that has footnotes. Because many of the translations that we have by God's grace, the translators endeavor to also make comments as they are translating. So that when you read something in one translation that looks different in another translation, they might explain the reason why there's the difference. Some versions will leave out certain phrases in some verses, and some people will make a big deal out of that. Don't buy this, this translation. No. If you go and look for verse and verse, so and so there is not there. If you look for this verse, you won't find it. If you look for that verse, you won't find it. And that might be true. But the reason why you won't find it, they will put it down in the footnotes. So don't just read the text, also see the footnotes. That's, again, a simple other tip. The third tip is to read the preface of whatever translation you're using. That's your major translation. And that's something we just don't tend to do because we're like, it's the Bible. Let's just go to whatever book you want to read. But every book begins with a preface for a reason. That's where you see what's going on in this book I'm about to read. That's where you get to know. The people that have come together to put this translation together, what's going on in their mind? Why did they think of all the hundreds, hundreds of translations that we have? Why did they think we need another one? They would explain that in the preface. So that can help you as well as you're reading through whatever translation you're reading through. So three tips in that sense. And the fourth would then be leverage on the tools and resources available online. The commentaries, the dictionaries, and I know all of this can sound too overwhelming for us sometimes. Like, I'm just good to read my Bible and close it and pray and go. And yes, that's that's fine. But there's always more. That's when you would have all these questions that you may never find answers to. Um, okay, one bonus tip would be there is this platform to bring your questions to. I like it when we just wrestle together around questions uh, uh, from God's word and, you know, think through them together. In that, in that sense, it's like in cassette, you almost paid for excess luggage to bring all our Bibles and concordance. Thank God these days we don't need, we don't need to necessarily make those expenses. Anyways, um, then coming down to the to the scriptures that you mentioned, just as we wrap up, um, Luke 20, 38 is not the God of the dead, but of the living. This is NIV. It's not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. That's the last statement in the KJV, in NKJV, for instance, it says, he's not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Already kind of clarifies what he's saying. When Jesus is saying, God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living, he's not necessarily saying he's not the God of the dead. He's saying he's not the God of the dead because to him, nobody's dead, if that makes sense. Everybody is alive. And so when you bring that and juxtapose that with Romans 14, 9, if I let me read that Luke passage, but from the 
Living Bible. Now, I must say that the Living Bible is a paraphrase. A paraphrase is different from a translation. A paraphrase is someone looked at the Greek texts, in this case, because this is New Testament, read it, understood it as someone that understood Greek, and then tried to rewrite it in modern English in a way that you can understand. So the person is not particularly interested in, let me use the exact translation of the words to English. What I want to do is present to you what you can understand as you read it, as the heart of what was originally written. So that's what you find in the Living Bible. So this is the Living Bible, Luke chapter 20, but verse 37 and 38. <clears throat> this is Jesus speaking. He says, but as to your real question, and what's that question? Whether or not there is a resurrection. That's the question Jesus was asked. Is there a resurrection? He's speaking to a certain sect that do not believe that there is a resurrection. But as to your real question, whether or not there's a resurrection, why? Even the writings of Moses himself prove this. For when he describes how God appeared to him in the burning bush, he speaks of God as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. To say that the Lord is some person's God means that that person is alive, not dead. So from God's viewpoint or point of view, all men are living. So when he's saying he's not the God of the dead, he's the God of the living, is because why would Moses say he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when he has been dead very many years ago? It's because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive, even though they are dead to you. In other words, there is a resurrection. And death is not the end. So that doesn't in any way contradict what Paul was saying in Romans 14, 9, when he says, for this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. It's still the same thing at the end of the day, because even the dead actually to God were not dead. Now, Psalm 58, verse 10. <laughs> I love this, this example because... The thing about Psalms is, and you find, oh my world, you find all manner of Psalms. I mean, in my chronological Bible reading for the year, I'm presently in that phase where they are interspersing the Psalms with what's going on in 2 Samuel and 1 Kings. And so we're just jumping around different places in the Bible. But then you then appreciate why some Psalms were written the way they are, especially when you know who is speaking, what had happened before the person is speaking, and things like that. These are poetic, many of them songs that they actually sing, but songs that are composed based on what's going on at the moment. There is one particular one that is like, even when you read it and you wonder, ah, ah, why is David so hungry? And he's talking of God, you know, not just punishing the, the wicked ones, even their children must not prosper. Even their this must not prosper. Even their daughter. And you keep wondering, ah, Abba, take it easy. <laughs> and all that. But again, one thing that Psalms does for us, and there is, I believe, a Psalm for any kind of emotion you are going through, it helps us to speak God's word back to him. Of course, at the end of the day, it's not like God will go on and kill the person you are saying God should kill because David said it in one Psalm or whoever said it in another Psalm. It's you just being honest. That is how we genuinely felt. This is, this is the deep anguish of my soul finding expression to God. And the Psalms fulfill that. You're feeling so grieved because of what someone has done. There's something in the Psalm to say to God about them. Not because you really, really do wish for evil to happen. But of course, we've all witnessed either in close proximity or distant proximity some terrible terrorism that you just wish 
instant judgment can come upon the person responsible. I mean, just some very unimaginable heels that some people would inflict on righteous, innocent, innocent people. And so there is something in the Bible to give articulation or language to that kind of anguish, but leave it to God to then do justice to it. Of course, many of these Psalms at the end of the day, you still see that it winds up back to you know, a place of praise to God or a place of trust in God or a place of, I know that you know more than I'm saying, I'm just speaking like this, but take it and do what you can with it. So that, that's, that's kind of um, where I'm going with that. Proverbs on the other hand that you cited is also brilliant, but also complex on its own ground in the sense that just as you can take any proverb, even in English or your mother tongue, as being um, an absolute truth that applies across the board. Let me give an example to make sense of what I'm saying. I believe it's Proverbs chapter 26, verse four and five, or chapter 24, verse four and five. One, one verse says, answer not a fool according to his folly, so that he will not be wise in his eyes. I mean, answer not a fool according to his folly, so that you will not become like him. And then the next verse is, answer a fool according to his folly, so that he will not be wise in his eyes. And then you're wondering, okay, should I answer a fool? Or should, not, should I not answer a fool? The point is, both statements are valid. If you answer a fool according to the person's foolishness, the tendency is that you also be sounding foolish. But if you choose not to answer that fool, that fool will think he has won and will continue to feel good. So he's feeling important in his foolishness. He needs someone that will speak to him and let him know that, hey, bros, you're actually sounding foolish. And I saw a classic example of that in the Bible, Second Corinthians, the Paul, Paul's letter. Um, and I won't get into all the background story for that. But there have been these people that had come into this church that Paul planted, and they were turning the hearts of the congregation against Paul and saying all manner of bad things about Paul. And so from around chapter 10, Paul said, you know what? Permit me to also speak like a fool. All the things you've been saying, the best way I could talk about it is you've been foolish. Addressing those super apostles, he called them. And then he began to speak on that level. Now, if you go and read 2 Corinthians 10 and 11 and even a bit of chapter 12, you can think that Paul is proud. You can think that Paul is bragging. You can think that, what's it, Seth? We know that you suffered so much for God's sake. Hey, and so what? But he needed to sound like that. And he kept on coming to that point that I know I'm sounding like a fool. Permit me to sound like a fool, to address these foolish people amongst you and let them see how foolish they have been. And then, of course, he comes back to tie it up in chapter 13 and take on a very more stand note to say, I'm coming this time. You want me to be stand, I will be stand with you. You want me to be firm, I'll be firm with you. And things like that. So basically, <clears throat> I said all of that to justify that proverb, to make you see that whatever proverb you see in the book of Proverbs, you'll find many contradictory proverbs in the book of Proverbs. A stitching time saves nine, means that you should do things as soon as possible. But English proverb also says, look before you leap. So take your time, don't just jump. Maybe it will even be better for you to not do a stitching time in this time. So there's a time to observe a stitching time saves nine. There's another time to observe Look before you leap. We are four minutes past our, <laughs> our time to wrap up. Um, but yeah, all that's to say, every part of the scripture that you are reading has its own literary genre 
And so that should inform, amongst other things, how you are going to interpret what you're reading. But more than that, read in context. What does that mean? Read what has happened before, read what has happened afterwards. Let that help you situate the story in a way that you can then begin to make sense of it in light of the broader things that we have seen revealed elsewhere in scripture. I hope that makes a little bit of sense. <laughs> All right. Thank you so very much. Um, I believe that's a nice place to call it an evening or a morning or an afternoon, as the case may be from wherever we've logged in. I want to sincerely appreciate everyone. There are some people that we didn't literally hear their voice. Sister Diola, I see you, but I didn't hear you. Docas, we saw you type, but we didn't hear your voice, I think. Okay, yeah, you're, you're back on. And um, we again. Lydia, I know you're also there quietly. Um, is it possible to just hear your voice or voices for 10 seconds each? Any remark whatsoever, even if it's just to say, good evening, good evening, goodbye, goodbye. <laughs> You'll be glad to have your voice on record. Who wants to go first? Deola. All right, go on. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. I also want to thank by, I think I comment on the eye of the needle. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you are muted again. I don't know if it's the network. If you can still hear us. Okay, maybe she's struggling with the network. Stadiola, can we get you? Come back to Dockers. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, Pastor. Your background is nice, by the way. <laughs> Everybody's commenting <laughs> on my background. I hope you know it's virtual. Anyway, you've been here, so you know where I live. <laughs> All, All right. right. So nice um, contributions. I've, I've um, learned a lot from what everyone has said. Mm. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to hear your voice. At least uh, did the and the other one become a good voice. Just kidding. <laughs> For those that don't understand you, but who is the last person? Lydia. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Yeah, beautiful hearing everyone. Although I came late. Mm. And um, that's all I have to say. <laughs> good night, everybody. <laughs> no problem. You're welcome. I knew Adekweji was here as well before, but she's locked off now. So just to say we acknowledge your presence and we're glad to have you all. Um, we'll meet again in two weeks. Um, and I think Damala has planted in, in us the possibility that we might just camp around the story of the Bible, how we came to have what we have today as the Bible and see a bit of how that came about. Um, otherwise, it will be whatever we need to do um, and will get us to know ahead. So thank you very much. Uh, just before we wrap up, as is our custom, we'll take a moment to pray. Um, amongst other things, let's remember Sister Damola, she's starting a business um, and we're trusting that the Lord will prosper it. Um, let's just pray for the courage to step into the deep, to, to take the leap of faith and for God to honor that with, you know, the grace for flourishing in the name of Jesus. Um, let's also 
express whatever is on our hearts individually to God in the place of prayer, that the Lord will, he will hasten to help us. Um, that's again, one of the Psalms it says, hasten, O Lord, to help us. <laughs> so speak to God, you can stay muted and just in 30 seconds, one minute, let's just be united in the spirit and speak to our father about whatever issues is in our hearts and also specifically about Damala's business that is starting. And then I'll wrap up afterwards. Let's bring our prayers to a close. And so, Father God, we are grateful for another night. We thank you for another opportunity to be gathered together and reason together in your word. We thank you for ways in which you helped us to hear what you're saying to us and for the different um, ways in which you are nudging us on in this spiritual growth journey, in our discipleship, in our sanctification, in our journey to become more like you. And we ask, oh God, that that which we've picked up here in different ways tonight, you water it in our hearts to flourish and to bring forth fruits to the fullness of their potential in Jesus' name. And we also ask, oh God, concerning each and every one of us, you know our fears, you know our worries, you know our anxieties, and you know those things that once in a while when they come to mind, they make our hearts skip a bit or they make us wonder and things like that. But we are laying it all before you tonight. You said to cast our cares upon you because you care for us. We believe that and we ask for your help, for your intervention, for your timely intervention at that that we can continue to have reasons to rejoice. To you be all the glory and praise.